And what we're seeing is that people who are getting vaccinated are then planning a vacation. So they're planning their vaccination. It's a vaccination-driven vacation. And it starts It starts at moment of eligibility. Oh my God, they've opened up vaccination for my category. I'm eligible. Let's go online and start looking. Hello, and welcome to the Redesigning Normal podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Southern. Since COVID-19 hit in March of 2020, businesses have had to completely redesign how they operate in the new normal. With this show, we'll bring you interviews from leaders across a variety of industries to discuss the impacts the pandemic has had on their business, how they're adjusting, and how they're preparing for whatever the future may hold. Join us each week as we bring you a new expert interview. Each episode, we discuss how a different industry is adapting to these changing times. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at InvisibleHealthTechnologies.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Redesigning Normal podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Southern. And today I'm joined uh, by Bill Walsh, who's CEO of Viceroy Hotel Group. Bill, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Delighted to be here. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here because uh, I think that your insight into how spaces are going to be rethought is super important uh, in your position as CEO. I would love to start at the sort of beginning of all of this, maybe February, March 2020. When did it become clear to you that this COVID-19 thing was going to be a big problem overall and for your business? 2020 had started pretty much like uh, every one of the preceding years of a decade, if not, if not more, in that I was traveling. Typically, I, I have traveled on average, I guess, between 185 and, and 200, 210 days a year. And 2020 started no different. I was in uh, Dubai in the UAE for the Ultra Travel Awards, where it was a great start to the year. Our Viceroy Lermitage Hotel in Beverly Hills was receiving the award as Hotel of the Year, uh, and I was there proudly to pick it up. And people were murmuring about this thing called coronavirus. And this was at the, the end of January. And we were all wondering if it would have an impact as opposed to what impact it would have. Fast forward four weeks, and I was in a conversation with my team to follow the lead of the more progressive businesses. And, and being here on the west coast of the United States, we were taking our lead from the technology campuses in the Bay Area, that it was time to shut down and send people home. So it really was that quick. And that, in fact, turned out to have been my last business trip of 2020. So I went from averaging 200 days travel a year for a decade to traveling for 12 days in 2020. Wow. And I actually read a little bit about your bio. Did you used to work or live in Dubai? I did. Uh, I was with the Jumeirah Group in Dubai for uh, just about eight years. Um, and business brings me back there frequently. It's a place that I continue to uh, to love. Got it. Actually, that's another question I was going to ask is sort of how you became CEO at, at Viceroy. Can you explain that to the audience? 
look, I'm a, I'm a hospitality industry guy. I, I didn't know it for a long time, but I've never really done anything else. All the way back to the very first money-making activity that I had at the age of about 14, where in the town that I lived in, Limerick in Ireland, uh, my uncle owned a guest house and he needed somebody twice a week to take out the trash cans. Uh, and that was me. From 14, I would get on my bicycle, cycle, I think it was about three miles each way, wheel out the trash cans on a, a Tuesday and a Thursday and then cycle back on Wednesday and Friday and, and, and take them back in uh, after they had been emptied. And that was the first step in. So it's been a career in hospitality that has taken me from the trash room to the boardroom, which is quite cliche. And, and I always like to joke that, well, not really joke, on occasionally the former has been more fun than the latter. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I'm that's sure, probably right. not something that we should investigate. And then I, I went to hotel management school. I worked in hotels in, in Ireland, in London. I was in Dubai, as we mentioned, back to Europe as the CEO of the Doyle Collection. And then I've been here for almost nine years at, uh, at Viceroy based in LA. Wow. Okay. It's, it's amazing because, of course, you've got a whole team of people and then, you know, sort of underneath that, all the guests sort of looking at, to you for cues of what to do. And, and you have to make these sort of difficult decisions, I imagine, including did you have to actually shut down the properties? Well, we did. Um, but, you know, what, what's driven me in, in terms of both behavior and culture uh, throughout the entire pandemic has been driven and saved me uh, and the team has been the fact that we have a very actively implemented ideology in our company. And Viceroy's ideology is not just marketing speak. It's not just words on a, on a laminated card that people carry around in their pocket. Um, it's a series of commitment statements, challenge statements that we make, that we believe that has become the vocabulary of the company. Examples from within the, the, the ideology start by saying that we are hosts first and always. Um, we're thoughtful in the detail. And just those two first lines kind of dictated our approach because pre-pandemic, being host first and always meant that we will elevate pure service to be hospitality. The difference being, as, as Danny Meyer, founder of, of Shake Shack and Union Square Hospitality Group, once said, you know, service is present when something happens to you. It becomes hospitality when that happens for you. And it's about caring. And we've always said that the fundamental obligations of hoteliers are to keep our guests safe, warm, and nourished. And here at Viceroy, we do that through a very contemporary lens. And typically, it was about keeping our guests um, safe, warm, and nourished in actively programmed environments so that they could create memories that would last them for a lifetime. And we were very thoughtful in the detail, the next line of ideology, in the way that we program activities at our resorts. Suddenly, pandemic came, and the emphasis shifted. We still had an obligation to keep our guests and colleagues safe, warm, and nourished, but safety took the priority, and becoming thoughtful in the detail well, that was represented in the fact that we introduced close to 600 new operating practices across our portfolio of hotels to adapt in the circumstances to the way that we did business in order to allow us to fulfill that number one obligation of keeping people safe. Then our ideology goes on to talk about individuality and authenticity and, and uh, respect and creating wealth. And every single line was true to the circumstances that we found ourselves in. It just needed to be interpreted and adapted for application in a different way. But had we not had 
the safe harbor of an activated cultural base through ideology in the company, uh, I'm really not quite sure where we would have gone or what we would have done. So as a, as a leader, you went to those principles first as your sort Correct. of guiding light. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't have had a formal pandemic response you know, plan, but you did have your criteria for how to treat people and, and, and the ethos of the company. Exactly. And, and we, we for sure didn't have a pandemic plan. I mean, we have flirted with the idea of pandemic periodically over recent years, but never to this extent. So as a leader, this is, you know, like, like so many people, hey, this is my first full-blown pandemic. And I think the other thing that having a strong culture in an organization allows you to do is not only to reinterpret for appropriateness to circumstances, but it also allows you to connect as a team. Um, one of the things that I've always said since becoming a CEO, uh, and, and for example, at orientation, where I'm welcoming new colleagues to the company, I always introduce myself to them at the start of my talk as being the guy in the room with the least meaningful job title in the room, and, and how the CEO title, the chief executive officer title, is, is pointless. It sucks. Because everybody else in the organization is so action-focused. A restaurant manager manages a restaurant. Uh, a cocktail server serves cocktails. Whereas the CEO title is very status-driven. So I always prefer to think of myself as the chief pride officer of the company. And my job is to make people proud. And that does not change during difficult times. So the kind of conversations that I had with myself at the beginning of pandemic were, one, you're still the chief pride officer of this company. And, and, and the responsibility that you take the accountability that you put in place for yourself, first and foremost, but for the entire leadership team to, to reinterpret ideology, to keep guests safe, to be thoughtful in the detail of how we do that, that's, that's what people expect of you and that's what my, my job uh, is. And then the second realization was, you've never done this before. And it took me a few months actually through pandemic to come to the conclusion that the way I was gonna survive or indeed thrive as a leader was to recognize that as leaders, we control that which we can control. And circumstances that we cannot control, our job is to react to them. And at the beginning of pandemic, I tried to control everything. I was emotionally devastated that so many of my colleagues were put out of employment so quickly. In answer to your earlier question, uh, we, we closed 14 of 15 operating hotels. And we did so over the period of weeks. In certain cases, decision of to close through closure was, was days. And those incredibly intelligent, dedicated, courageous, passionate team members uh, at the front line of our business went from perhaps being furloughed on a Friday to being laid off a week later. And, and, and I was very conscious of the fact that this was terrifying. Uh, they had to go home and explain to families there was concern about paying rent or mortgage or, or educating kids, putting food on the table. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to bring them back. And we put a program in place on the second day after we closed the corporate office uh, called Pole Position, inspired by the, the racing term, the Formula One racing. We wanted to be in pole position on the grid so that as soon as circumstances allowed us to start bringing people back to work, we would be in a position to do so faster uh, than our, our competitors. But I thought I'd be able to do that personally. And then I had to realize I'm surrounded by incredibly smart people, but as smart as they are, we cannot come up with a vaccine. And the pandemic circumstances will prevail until such time as other people bring about 
a positive improvement. So during that period, what we had to do was react to those circumstances in the best interest of, of our colleagues and of our customers um, and, and create that division between what you can control and what you have to react to. Wow. So did you assemble a team of these of the folks that you work with to sort of figure out how to open back up again in limited ways? Or on day three, what did you do? Well, day three was, was, was day two of our pole position meeting, right. first okay. and foremost. And, yeah. and that became a, a, a daily, um, even when we got to the point of recognizing that this was going to take longer than we had anticipated, we nevertheless kept meeting in order to try to figure out um, and, and to test that our preparedness was as good as we thought it was. And we did that out of respect to those colleagues because not to have kept kind of polishing the plan ready to bring them back would have been disrespectful um, to them. But then we had to adopt, like every business, uh, new practices internally, such as you know, the, the adoption of, of video technology to interact, something that was not culturally part of what we did. We're a hospitality business. We're about human beings making other human beings happy. And, and we do that through human to human interaction. So as a company and as a leader, I believe in having a corporate office and in, in having a team who come to that office and where we see each other. And suddenly that, that couldn't happen. And originally we thought it wouldn't happen for a period of months. Uh, we never dreamed that it would be longer than a year uh, that the office would, um, would remain closed. So we had to change the way we did business. And two things that I recall deciding very early on. One is that we would increase the frequency of communication as a team and that we would be extremely, I would be as a leader, very transparent and honest in terms of the, the significance of the circumstances and, and what was facing our company and what we would need to do. And secondly, that I would elevate the importance of a phrase that I had traditionally used as a leader, but I don't know if I'd ever truly put into effect. And that was that as a leader and as a company in our culture, we would, we would recognize that the greatest demonstration of courage was to ask for help. The greatest demonstration of strength was to admit that you did not know what to do. And, and I tried to lead by example and say, look, guys, I'm your chief pride officer. I'm going to lead us through these circumstances. But this is my first pandemic. I will be asking you your opinion. I will be asking you your help. I will be reaching out to mentors of mine from previous industries, previous jobs, in order to ask them for their help to help me make the best decisions. And on occasion, those decisions will be wrong, in which case we're going to step back, we're going to gather ourselves, and we're going to move, move further. But the message to my team was, you know, we're all facing our first pandemic. This is not the time to strive for perfection. Uh, this is the time to put maximum effort out there. This is the time to, to demonstrate and communicate emotion and, and to connect in a very meaningful and honest way. And, and I think now, one year later, even though there are members of my team that I have not seen in person for that one year, we as a team of people are closer than we have ever been. We will come out of this pandemic tighter, closer, more connected, and, and more fluent and fluid in our communication with each other than, than we were. Because like a lot of businesses, I think we took for granted the fact that we saw each other in the office every day meant that we were communicating. And we weren't. We were seeing each other, but we weren't connecting. And now uh, we connect in a, in a previously unfathomable way. And it's amazing. That is incredible. I'm not in your industry, but I know that hotels have a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of inputs and outputs, right? And a lot of expectations. And then I can only imagine with the pandemic, 
with more outside influences like uh, CDC guidelines and, you know, um, lockdowns and, and, and travel restrictions, right? There's things that, like you said, you can't control those things. So all you can do is sort of create your plan. If this happens, then we can do this. But if that happens, we'll do this, right? Yeah, but as a leader, you have to, you have to make decisions and you have to, to, for example, deciding where to take guidance from was one of those decisions and it's still one of those decisions. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in, in LA, LA part of, of, of California has taken a much more, and I don't mean the use of this word in a political connotation, in a behavioral connotation, it's been much more conservative than other states in the United States. This week alone, we started the week uh, having seen in the past 10 days multiple governors of U.S. states effectively declare the coronavirus over and say, we are removing mask mandates, um, we're, we're removing any cap on occupancy of hospitality spaces of restaurants and bars, and businesses are, are expected to take their lead from, from that source. On the other hand, you have the CDC, who we have chosen to follow as a business, saying, no, it, it's not over. It, it's still here. The, the vaccination program is accelerating. Yeah, infection rates are declining. Hospitalization rates are declining. Thank, thankfully, most of all, fatalities are declining. But that's the opportunity for complacency to set in and for probably the third time in a year, flip this thing and get back to, to serious consequences. So my job in that circumstance is to say to all of the people in my company, bearing in mind that we operate in, in multiple locations, nationally and internationally, Ignore the advice that you are getting or the direction in Cajun that you're getting locally. Uh, we are we're going to go with CDC because, again, we have an ideology. And that ideology says that we are hosts first and always. Our interpretation currently of that is that we keep people safe. I do not believe that the advice we're getting, which is politically motivated, is in the interest of keeping people safe. It's in the interest of re-election. The CDC keeps people safe. And that, as a leader, is what I am deciding we will do as a company. And, and, and those... Those decisions are not always popular. Um, they're not always easily understood, but that's what I get paid to do. So in the sort of current time, what is the experience like for someone coming to one of your properties? Uh, what would that feel like? Is there like temperature checks and, and increased cleaning or what is it, what's actually happening on the ground? Well, um, there, are, there are changes and there are consistencies. The consistency is that pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and it will still be post-pandemic, our, our ideology is evident and our, our fundamental objective is to help our guests to create memories that will last them for a lifetime. That will never change. It doesn't matter what, what's going on um, in, in the world. And now more than ever, that's important because people have been, you know, there's a thin line between lockdown and locked up in people's view of, of where they've been for the past year. Andrew, I learned a new word last week. I'd love to have come up with it, um, but somebody else did. And I, I read it and it's become my new, arguably my new favorite word ever. Uh, and that is vaccination. And, and what we're seeing is that people who are getting vaccinated are then planning a vacation. So they're planning their vaccination. It's a vaccination-driven vacation. And it starts, it starts at moment of eligibility. Oh, my God, they've opened up vaccination for my category. I'm eligible. Let's go online and start looking. Exactly. Like, do the math, right? It's like, I, yeah. if I get it in a week and I'm two weeks later, right. Yeah. And then they, then they get an appointment booked and it's like, all right, we're going we're, we're gonna to now put a tentative on the flights and the hotel. And then they get first... Uh, shot and, and they're super looking forward to it. Second shot, 14 days, boom, they are there. We're seeing right now, as we're here in late March, uh, we're seeing 
huge positivity in, in uh, forward reservations. We've, we've picked up more in the last seven days than in the last seven months. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, like, like what you're seeing coming down the pipe for bookings in, what, July, I guess? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're seeing it starting to happen now. Vaccination in, in certain parts of the country has been pretty positive. Weekends already are getting much busy, whether it's people staycationing in cities or, or traveling uh, to resorts. I want to answer the question you asked me earlier. When they arrive... Um, well, yeah, there is more evident cleaning. Uh, we're, we're using technology, so we have very visible technology in public spaces, cleaning the air, uh, and and just giving people that that sense of confidence. When you, we're we're remaining a masked, mandatory masked environment in public spaces. We have introduced technology that allows people to uh, remote check in, uh, so they don't they can avoid human contact if they wish. Uh, when people get to their rooms, there is a sticker, a seal that has to be broken on the door of the bedroom that says that this room has been fully sanitized. Nobody has been in here since it was sanitized. This is your safe space. We've gone as far as in the rooms, implementing across every bedroom in our portfolio, voice-activated technology. So whether it's Google Home or Alexa by Amazon, to give our guests the opportunity to interact, to change TV channels, to order room service, to ask for more pillows without having to touch a phone. And, and again, it's only a small thing. It's also partly, if I'm honest, to, to keep up with people's lifestyles at home because so many people have adopted voice-activated technology, at least those people who don't believe that Alexa is working on behalf of a, some dodgy Eastern government Eastern <laughs> right. to everything that goes on in their house. Um, but, but we're seeing a pretty significant usage of, of voice-activated uh, command technology in our room. So we've enhanced guest experience as a result of the pandemic circumstances. But that's not to say that many, if any, of those enhancements will be taken away at the cessation of pandemic because they've actually become part of life. People want to be able to check into a hotel via an app if they so choose. And they want the option of of self-parking their car and not mandatory valet because perhaps they don't want another human being sitting behind the wheel. And they want the room configuration and room technology uh, to be enhanced, but uh, that they're not going to forget those things at the end. What about room cleaning? Do people still come in and, and do all that for the guests on a daily basis? It's become an on-demand service because the guests are still divided between those who may be confident to travel, but but once they are in their, their, their they have their room, they've seen that it's been sanitized and sealed, it then becomes their vacation bubble. And they don't want a housekeeper coming in. So it's like, you know, leave the towels and fresh pillows or shampoo, whatever it might be, outside my door. Uh, there are other people, and particularly those vaccinated, who are like, you know, when we started to reopen hotels, we made some mistakes in assumption of behaviors, even pre-vaccination. And we said people won't want any valet parking, so we'll get rid of it. And the people left their cars outside the front door with the door open and the engine running <laughs> saying, hey, dude, I've been waiting six months for this weekend stay. You know, don't, don't take away those little touches that make it different from, from being at home. So we have people who show up who say, valet park my car, check me in personally, give me a drink on arrival, walk me to my room, and I'll eat room service served to me in my room. And then we have people who are like, seriously, do not come within six feet of me. And, and we respect the right of any individual to, to make that decision. And those who want the you know, full-on experience and, and service as it used to be, we ask them to respect the fact that I will not ask my colleagues to, to get within six feet of somebody unless absolutely necessary. And therefore, we have adapted the experience and, and you know, we kind of got to meet in the middle a little bit. How do the guests 
message to you which version of the experience they want at the moment? Is there a way pre-check-in that you send them something that says, do you want a high touch or a low touch experience? We make them aware that we have made uh, introductions of new technologies and, and we can then see, for example, if people are downloading the app, if they're interacting with us uh, over technology pre-arrival. But, but much of it is behavioral. We can tell when somebody um, shows up at a hotel and um, you know the, the, the folks offer to valet park or, or the doorman says, let me take your suitcase. No, no, please don't touch any of my stuff. And then we can signal to other people within the building if somebody feels um, a little bit reluctant to have any form of interaction and we can, we can adapt our, our interactions accordingly. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at invisiblehealthtechnologies.com. Now, Viceroy has a number of you have sort of different collections, and you've got destination hotels or resorts, and you've got urban hotels, right? Correct. How do you expect they're going to perform now and, and sort of post-pandemic? What, what, are you, what are you seeing already? Uh, are people going to the destinations more or booking the destinations more or going to nearby cities? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, when I, when I was growing up in hospitality and, and attending hotel school, they used to say to us, a little bit like the real estate market, the, the three factors for success of any uh, hotel are location, location, and location. <laughs> right, right. And, and I kind of rebelled against that to some degree and have said in recent years, the three factors for success in any hotel our activation, activation, activation. It was down to programming. It was down to that thoughtfulness and the detail. I think it might have flipped back a little bit for the next bit to location, 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 because the location and the success of any hotel location is driven by two things. One, segmentation, which means the type of business that a hotel predominantly does. And you have hotels that will do mostly individual leisure business. You have hotels who do mostly group an incentive and, and, and meetings business. And those two hotels will react very differently in terms of recovery. A location that is highly dependent upon individual leisure, which is in a location where its geographic source markets are strong, are heavily vaccinated, and where there, there remains great airlift, which particularly for a hotel in a resort destination, the frequency of incoming aircraft is the most important thing. Like Riviera Maya kind of thing? Yeah, um, okay. or, or St. Lucia. Okay. And one of, the, one of the, you know, St. Lucia has remained relatively robust throughout pandemic. It, it's, it's a resort destination. Our resort on the island is very spread out so people can have individual buildings, individual villas or bungalows, and they can feel safe and, and secure. But, you know, we, we, we had circumstances where on a Friday, British Airways would say, we're, we're stopping flights to St. Lucia next week. Um, and then there's no, it doesn't matter how safe the resort feels. It doesn't matter how courageous the guest feels. If they can't get on a plane to get there, they can't get in the plane to get there. And business falls. So 
for hotels in, in locations that customers want to travel to, where there's availability of air, or it's a drive-to destination, I think that the, the return uh, to stability will actually be faster than, than any of us imagine. If you look at certain other locations, uh, and particularly urban city destinations, and particularly cities that are dependent upon large movements of people, citywide conventions, um, Vegas, San Francisco, D.C., others, it's really hard to, to, to generate enough leisure individual business to compensate for the loss and the lack of those citywide conventions. Those citywide conventions sometimes take a year to organize. Uh, so it's not like they can decide on a Friday, we're going to have a convention next week. Um, but a leisure individual traveler can be spontaneous. And I think the other advantage that the leisure destinations have is this kind of vaccination, vaccination thing. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and he said they just come to realize within their family that his kids have just been vaccinated. He and his wife have been vaccinated. Uh, their parents and grandparents have all been vaccinated. And they've now reached a point of critical vaccination within multi-generation. And they're going to go and rent a six-bedroom villa in a luxury resort somewhere uh, because they haven't seen each other for a year. And they want to celebrate. And you know what? This particular individual is, is, is you know, relatively affluent, may very well rent a jet um, for, for the generations of family to travel together. So they're, they're still conscious of being safe, even post-vaccination. But they're saying, we can do this. I think one of the biggest growth segments um, or, or, or segments to return robustly will be weddings. People have postponed weddings for the past year because their families couldn't attend. I mean, folks, if you're out there listening to this and you're contemplating booking a wedding uh, on a weekend in the next two years in any popular wedding venue, Andrew, I hate to lose your audience, stop listening and hit the phone because availability for weddings, for, for family, for social celebrations is, is already extremely tight because everybody who's postponed over last year is now rebooking and they don't want to wait. They want to get it done as quickly as they can. It's, it's just incredible. I, I think you're touching on something that I've spoken to other folks about in different industries, this sort of like undercurrent of demand, right? And I, I'm sure it's, you could probably see it in data that you, that you get to see of people who didn't get to go anywhere for a year, didn't get to see their families uh, have uh, some money that they can spend on something like this, but they were unable to spend that money, right? And as soon as they get the all clear, they're on the airplane. In fact, you can see even today, and it is, it's late March, 2021, those airports are packed right now. There are certain airports. I saw a video from uh, Las, Las Vegas yesterday, packed. Yeah, we've seen those behaviors in, in other areas. So why should, why should travel uh, be any different? I, I remember maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, sitting at home and, you know, he hearing of people that were, were racing to their phones um, because hair salons, barbers had reopened and were like, oh my God, I don't, I, you know, I don't have to get somebody in the house to cut my hair anymore. It was like the early days of SoulCycle. If you weren't, if you weren't there at midday on a Monday to book a bike at you your favorite place, you couldn't get in. Right. And now suddenly it's like word goes around, everyone's texting each other. Hey, Rumor is that they're going to announce today that, that, that outside dining can reopen for restaurants. And we were all literally waiting to book our favorite restaurants. And they went in a heartbeat. And then, and then California opened up a little bit more. And now it's 20% or 25% indoor dining. And those seats have gone. So every time there has been 
a partial reopening of anything that people have uh, had taken away from them, there's been a sellout situation. And, um, and air travel and, and hotels, albeit they never fully went away, the equivalent of them being opened up to a lot of people is getting the shot in the arm uh, because that means I can, I can travel safely. Now, interestingly, CDC have mixed views on whether or not you can travel safely. You can travel, you can, sorry, that's not true. You can travel safely. 14 days after vaccination, you're considered fully vaccinated. But they're not necessarily encouraging full travel um, just yet. We're leaving it up to the individual. Our hotels are open. Flight seats are there. We're, we're ready, willing, and able uh, to welcome people on arrival. One of, one of my key focuses at the moment is recognizing that our businesses will get busier. I want all of my colleagues vaccinated to keep them safe. Now, I respect vaccination as personal choice. But as the leader of the organization, my job is to express a view. Um, and I'm telling colleagues that I believe everybody should get vaccinated. I believe it's safe and that I have uh, been vaccinated. Well, I'm, I'm mid-vaccinated. I have my second shot this afternoon, in fact. And for the first one, I, I, um, I showed up at, at Cal State and crawled along in my car for two hours before uh, a wonderful young National Guardsman came up, tapped on the window, said, show me your ID, show me your eligibility. Uh, and then he said, all right, left or right arm. And I said to him, what, we're doing it now? And he said, yes. And I said, but I don't have my angles ready. And I wanted to get the selfie with, with this, with the branded Right, you've got to get it all in the shot. Going yeah. in, so that I could send that image out to my colleagues on the front line, many of whom I believe are, are hearing misinformation from, from either news sources or within their communities and saying, this is not me as chief executive officer saying, do what I say. This is me as the chief pride officer of this company saying, please do as I have done. I've had the needle in my arm. I think you should. I think it'll keep you, your, your family, your friends, your community um, safer. And by the way, if you do so, um, we're going to put a half-day bonus PTO, a half-day bonus vacation uh, in place for you to say thank you for having had the courage to go out and get vaccinated to keep your colleagues and our customers safe. So just give a bit of encouragement there to sort of do yeah. that thing. Yeah. You strike me as a guy that knows a lot of people probably in the industry around the world. Just very briefly, what are you hearing from other markets around the world? Like your friends in Dubai, for instance, what are they, are they seeing very similar data to you or is it maybe already open? What do you see? We're seeing very different things in different places. We're seeing that um, Europe appears to be struggling somewhat with, um, with vaccination they perhaps opened earlier than, than, for example, we did in California and suffered the consequences of that decision. So hospitality right now, again, and, end of March as we have this conversation, is extremely locked down across Europe. In fact, European capitals, many of them are going back into lockdown um, as of this week. So I think that they have a journey at least through end of May, June, before they start to, to reopen. Um, and I think that that is potentially a consequence of of having opened up too soon. Dubai, I mean, Dubai had uh, a festive 20 into 21, Christmas into, into New Year, like nothing had ever happened. Um, hotels were packed, beaches were packed. Then there was a wave. Um, now, they're, they're, they're certainly not in the same circumstances as, uh, as Europe. They, they have an active vaccination program and have had from early on. So they're coming back. Asia seems to be doing really well. And Asia, having been more affected initially than everybody else, um, I think locked down extremely well. And again, none, none of what I'm saying is intended to, to, to be 
political statements, but the reality is that leadership, be it business or political, is what's important in, in any devastating or pandemic or, or crisis circumstance. And I think that styles of leadership in different parts of the world have, have ranged from being extremely effective to idiotic. And you look at countries like New Zealand, where I saw this week pictures of, of people attending a live music event, a concert, because they could, because they took the pain early on. And, and when, when it was said, guys, we've got to wear masks, we have to stay at home, and then subsequently we have to get vaccinated, the population said, I may not agree, but it is for the greater good, and I will support my country and my community, and they're reaping the benefit um, of it now. And, and you know, they, they, they passed up the 10-minute opportunity to hit the streets and say, boo, 10 minutes on the streets, 10 weeks back at home. So. Yep. I completely agree with you. I mean, we've, I've seen it from, you know, my what I can read, and there's been as you mentioned, like sort of different responses, they're almost like different cultural responses, right? It's like Americans, I think, tend to be sort of like that sort of freedom loving, you know, gung ho, my personal rights kind of thing. And that maybe doesn't work as well in a pandemic where we're all in it together than it can in some other countries where uh, maybe the collective thought uh, is a bit more uh, put together. I, I certainly think that in some of these Asian countries, they've already been hit with pandemic or t- pandemic type things. So wearing a mask, uh, temperature screening, that kind of stuff was already fairly commonplace in response to SARS, for instance. And look, I, I think that here in the United States, freedom loving and, and the right to act as one wishes, it's not only a constitutional entitlement, it's a life entitlement. And, and I have no issue with it. Provided that the information you're receiving in order to come to the conclusion, to make the decision about the behaviors that you want to freely adopt is accurate, is not partisan, is not tainted. And I'm not sure that that has always been the case. And and I'm not looking to one side or the other here. I think if you say to people, and we should say to people everywhere, and I say to our colleagues in this company, make the decision that is the right decision for you. But my job will be to try my best, honestly and without agenda, to present to you information that will allow you to make the best decision for you and, and ultimately, hopefully, for this organization. And, you know, different parts of the world are better at that. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question because I don't want to take up all your time. What do you see other hotel operators doing maybe not so right at the moment? As a community, it's, it's one for all and all for one. So first and foremost, uh, I'm, I'm not hoping to identify deficiencies in, in operation of my, my competitors because that will give me advantage. I think that the industry, the sector, requires us, needs us all to come back um, strongly and to create the circumstances to bring as many people um, back to work as we can. I think one of the things that I see happening, and this might sound strange as a business leader, and, and before I get a violent reaction perhaps from any of the owners of hotels for whom we manage or my own shareholders, Listen to me and let me finish. I think one of the things is that many companies will fall to the temptation of simply having a, a sole focus on return to profitability. Uh, and I don't agree with that. I, I, I think a return to profitability is extremely important, but I don't think it's sole focus. Because I think the, the danger is that we forget all of the, the healthy learnings that we've had in a very unhealthy period. Viceroy's focus for 2021 
is not pandemic driven. We have a theme for every year. Our theme for this year is Viceroy for Everyone. And, and that is a recognition that we, we also saw immense, powerful, necessary and, and, and profound social change and social movement uh, occur here in the United States and around the world last year. I, as a leader, have reacted to that, recognizing I need to hold myself more accountable, recognizing that Viceroy as a company, I as a leader, had not, was not doing enough to create and communicate platforms of tolerance, of, of inclusiveness, um, and inclusivity in my company. So for me, the most important thing to do is to make sure that every individual, be they contemplating Viceroy as um, a place to come as a colleague or as a guest, feels and believes that every individual is treated with equal respect in our world, irrespective of their race, nationality, religion, um, identification, pronoun, um, any life choice that any individual chooses uh, to make. And we weren't, we weren't doing that, that enough. Um, and I urge the hospitality industry to embrace, adopt, and activate a commitment to social change from within in every way that we can. So I guess rather than saying, here's what I see people not doing well, here's what I hope everybody does. I hope, I do, I hope we don't forget too quickly because there have been many learnings from pandemic. And we have a habit as human beings of airbrushing the past. And, and as soon as business stabilizes, I think it's very easy to go back to doing things simply the way that we did. Let's remember, let's remember and continue to adopt those pandemic positives, whatever they may be in any industry. And, and let's also remember that the pandemic, while dominating society, was not the only thing going on in society. And that there are other issues that we as hospitality professionals, because we're global as an industry, uh, because we have multiple locations in different cultures, in different destinations, we can actually be at the forefront of bringing about positive change socially uh, and culturally, that we put as much effort into that as we do financial recovery post-pandemic. It's, fa it's fascinating. What you're describing is the sort of, we can do more than one thing at a time, Correct. right? We have like, to. We, we have to. We have to operate our hotel group. We have to respond to a pandemic. We also have, like you mentioned, 2020 was incredible sort of social upheaval, important issues. We also have to do that, right? Well, we, we, we do. And, you know, Andrew, just in, in final wrap-up, I've used the expression probably a few times during our chat. For me, at the heart of hospitality is the idea of one human being making another human being happy. One human being does not make another human being happy by just trying to take their money. You make another human being happy by paying them respect, by, by helping them create memories that will last them a lifetime, and by making them feel accepted, valued, and cherished. We keep our guests safe, warm, and nourished. Maybe I need to expand that and say we, we keep our guests safe, warm, nourished, and respected. And that is a space that I hope Viceroy will live in forever. I think that's a perfect end. Uh, thank you so much, Bill Walsh, for joining me on this podcast. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Redesigning Normal podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. 
To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at invisiblehealthtechnologies.com.